0: Thank you for downloading the sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. John chapter 6. Let's turn there again, John chapter 6, and stand for the reading of God's Word. We will be focused on verses 60 and 61 this morning, but I'm going to read... 60 to 65. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Let's let's pray. <clears throat> our Father, we thank you for your word. It's a guide to us, it's a lamp to our feet. And Lord, we pray that as we come to your word that we would hear it and believe it and obey it. Our Father, thank you for your mercy in giving us your word. Father, we pray that you would now bless every one of our thoughts and meditations. May they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be seated. So again, we're, we're focused on verses 60 and 61 this morning. And so, just a little bit of the context from few weeks back. Remember this whole this whole chapter started with Jesus feeding the people. He fed those 5,000 men plus the women and children that were there miraculously by giving them uh, bread and sauceless fish for dinner. And then Jesus uh, walked on water, right? And the crowd followed him and he he rebukes the crowd because they're following him for, for uh, not because of who he is, but they're following him because he's got some handouts. He's got some bread and they want some food. And, and then the scene shifts, I think, about verse 41. It shifts to the synagogue of Capernaum. And there G- Jesus is engaging the Jewish leaders and uh, further Jews. And he really goes after them on this bread of heaven thing and starts talking, you remember, about his flesh. You must drink my blood and eat my flesh. And their minds are blown, right? They're scandalized by this. And we, uh, you know, they, they question, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? But they're sort of probably saying that in a really disgusted sort of tone of voice. And then Jesus doubles, triples, quadruples down and comes at him again and says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. And so by the end of this, the Jews are probably just you know, falling down, weak in the legs, just undone by all of this. Um, He pounds home this truth to them in response to their grumbling about the fact that he said he came down from heaven, that he was the bread from heaven. In response uh, to their grumbling, Jesus just decides to get explicit with the analogy. Okay, you're, you're upset that I said but I was the bread of heaven? Here's, here are a few other things I'm going to tell you about myself. I'm going to use this analogy that you really are not going to like. You have to ingest me. Right? You have to ingest me by faith. And he, he's stating not merely that he is the bread of heaven, but that in some sense to come to the Father they must ingest Christ by faith. And so now today our verse verses these two short verses 60 and 61. We look at the response not of unbelieving Jews but of believing disciples it says. Now, what kind of believing they were doing or what kind of faith they they have, we don't we don't know, but it seems that the belief of some of these uh People may have just been a very superficial thing. To to many of them, though, these believing disciples, Jesus teaching that day was more than they could handle. Then it says many, not all, respond to the statement about eating his flesh and drinking his blood with this statement. This is a difficult statement. (laughs) Literally a hard word. This is a hard word. And then that question, who can, who can listen to it? And I always want to throw in a, who can even listen to that? Right? So they're, they're like, what is going on here? We've been following you around, you've been teaching, and you've never said anything quite like you said today. Flesh and blood, eat and drink. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? They just can't wrap their head around this talk of flesh and blood. They're scandalized by it. It's it's a hard word for sure. But think about it. That's what all of the word is. It's a hard word. The scriptures are filled with hard words. Um, When we come across them, our minds go to the same place as those disciples did on that day. We come across Jesus' command to cut off the hand and gouge out the eye that causes you to sin. And we think, well, that's a hard word. Who can listen to that? That's the first thing we think. He doesn't mean what he just said. That's a hard word. I mean, who can even? Right? <clears throat> When Jesus says that we must hate anything that stands in our way of wholehearted devotion to him, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, and even his own life, hate life, hate your life. Well, if you can't come to him and do not hate your own life, he, you can't be his disciple, Jesus says. That's a hard word. When scripture says you shall not covet, you shall not lie, you shall not, you, you shall not steal, you, you shall honor your father and your mother, those are hard sayings, those are hard words. When scripture says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, hard words, I mean, who can even listen to that? When scripture flies in the face of our culture, calling homosexuality an abomination, That's a hard word. Right? When when Scripture speaks simply of the fact of a coming judgment, when everybody will stand before God and be judged according to their works, that's a hard word. I mean, who can listen to that? When when Scripture says, I mean, we could go a million places, right? I could just go... Time after time, I get, every page I could find a hard saying for you, right? Reject a factious man after one or two warnings. That's a hard word, you know? When when Scripture says that we should remove the sinful man from, from our midst, excommunicate, that's a hard word. Who can listen to it? Scripture is filled with... Uh, with hard words, and our flesh despises these hard sayings, okay? Thinking much too highly of ourselves, that's our general disposition, right? Do I have to convince any of you that we think too highly of ourselves? I don't think so. Thinking much too highly of ourselves, we like to live by our own standards and not the standard of the Word of God. We flatter ourselves, right? We flatter ourselves thinking we know best and the path we have chosen is acceptable to God. Did we hear that? Or did we hear the baby? <laughs> we flatter ourselves thinking we know best and the path that we choose on our own is pleasurable to God or is pleasing to God, right? We'd like to sanctify our disobedience and just say that it's pleasing to God, right? We choose our own way. We have our own easy sayings and intend to leave Scripture's hard sayings um Behind, leave even the book up on the shelf because, um, because it's just too many hard sayings. It's too much confrontation of me and my, my sinfulness, right? And so we put, put our Bibles on the shelf and, and it collects dust and our hearts begin to atrophy, to die, right? If we allowed ourselves time to even think about Christ's command in Scripture like he who looks on a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery, right? if we let our minds think on that, we might find ourselves often concluding that, well, these are hard words, who can listen to that? Who can listen to that? More likely, because of our neglect, we just don't give the hard words of Christ much thought. We assume we are excluded from the hard commands of Scripture. I'm converted, man. The the hard commands don't apply to me anymore. That's a weird thought. Right? They didn't apply to you at all when you didn't know the Lord. They only apply to you because you believe in him. Right? We we assume we're excluded, though. Look, I can take fire in my lap and not be burnt. Not a problem. Not a problem. I can take fire in my lap and just keep things... um, You know, keep things good. Our pride works in so many ways to help us avoid conviction from God's word. Not only would we have reacted the way that those disciples reacted, but we would have felt justified in such a reaction to Jesus, right? That is the nature of our flesh, to reason away from God's word, to set a course of independence from what God would have for us. That is the tug of our flesh at all times. The disciples that day found Jesus' words hard, disagreeable, probably unwelcome. They were so disgusted by the thoughts Jesus gave to them that they, they deserted him that day. That was just one step too far for many, and they deserted him. They left him behind. How many people do, we, do you know who have done that same thing? How many people do you know? You know, they, they, they showed interest in the things of Christ. They came to church with you. You led them to this or that. And then, then they, the, the scriptures were preached and the pastor said something that, that was a hard saying. And they just blow out. Because they realize that, yeah, to to be a Christian, to honor God, probably means me doing what God says that I should do. On some level, right? On some level, there should be (laughs) that. I mean, if we were Marxists, what would we do? We would read Marx and do what Marx said. Right? Everywhere. We would destroy our economy. Right? But we would do it. But when it comes to Christianity, why is there such a disconnect? Christ tells us things to do and even says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And we're just like, eh, I'll take that one. But this week, I'm going to disregard that one because I, I intend to do what I want to do. Here's where you see it happening today. Scripture lays out the very centrality of male and female right from the beginning right male and female right from the beginning our culture though has determined to rebel against god's creation order it's everywhere right this rebellion against sexuality male and female but think of the many people you read about the many professing christians you read about who end up forsaking the faith turning from jesus More times than not, it is because they found themselves evolving to a more loving acceptance of things very precious to our pagan culture, right? And it's right at these topics like male and female. Think of Joshua Harris, right? (laughs) Joshua Harris. He was an evangelical celebrity, wrote the wildly popular book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, sometime late 90s, I think, 97, 98. Um. everybody read it. it. It was a purity culture movement was started out of that. There's so many things bad with that whole movement, so many things bad with that book. Um, <clears throat> but he, he was a shining light in what has been dubbed purity cal- culture. And then a couple years ago, he announced he was divorcing his wife and that he was no longer a Christian. Here's part of what he said. He said, Martin Luther said that the entire life of believers should be repentance. Oh man, what a misuse of this quote. There's beauty in that sentiment regardless of your view of God. I've lived in repentance for the past several years, repenting of my self-righteousness, my fear-based approach to life, the teaching of my books, my views of women in the church, and my approach to parenting, to name a few. But I specifically want to add to this list now. What does he mention next? You could all guess it. To the LGBTQ plus community, I want to say that I am sorry for the views that I taught in my books and as a pastor regarding sexuality. I regret standing against marriage equality for not affirming you in your place in the church, and for any ways that my writing and speaking contributed to a culture of exclusion and bigotry. I hope you can forgive me. See, his repentance is which way? Is his repentance toward the Word of God or is his re- repentance away from the Word of God? He's repenting for having held views that Scripture holds. That's the bad kind of repentance. That's not the kind of repentance that I'm talking about. Repentance is bringing yourself in conformity to the Word of God. right? He, there are many things he could have repented about for those books, but he's not repenting in those ways, in that statement. Right? And so, did, what hard saying of Scripture made Joshua Harris plug his ears and exclaim, who can listen to it? Who can listen to that? It's verses like this that Mr. Harris was unwilling to accept and so departed from Christ. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, if you reject 9 and 10, then you don't get 11 either. Verse 11 says, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. You reject 9 and 10, you don't get 11. Right? The salvation in Christ, the forsaking of fornication, of effeminacy, of homosexuality, and the washing and the justification that comes from Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, there's a competition in your hearts. The competition pits your sinful nature against God's holy standard. Right? No man can keep God's standard with perfection, and so repentance will be necessary always. But there are many who determine their repentance based upon the flesh's standard rather than God's standard. They look about them and see the Supreme Court's rulings and the television commercials that work subtly work in same-sex couples and the very generous and loving people they've known who live an alternative lifestyle and God's standards begin to lose their beauty. In fact, God's standards look unloving. And your flesh, dear brothers and sisters, wants to do the same thing. The flesh, like the serpent in a garden, wants you to deny God's standards and do what is a delight to the eyes and what is desirable to make one worldly wise. Right? Imagine the the pressure in this direction if you were a student today on a college campus. Imagine the pressure. Not Bob Jones. but probably Bob Jones. It is it is tiring to have your supposed hatred for people thrown about in your face all day. You get worn out, right? You get worn out and then your flesh comes along and says enough, enough. This is a hard saying, it's enough. Uh, I'm going to join the other team just because I want to get some rest. I just don't want to be hated anymore. I'm going to join the other team. I need to get some rest. I I don't want every family meal to be a confrontation. You know what? I'm just going to embrace feminism. Because I want to go home at Christmas time and, and just affirm the people I see. Is that the kind of life that Jesus lived? Everywhere he went was he uh, great conversation. Boy, this was a good time together. Now, pretty much it was confrontation all of his life, right? And that's what the the pastors and elders, their whole whole work is just mitigating arguments between people. What a... And, and so you know that this is the way you get weary god's commands seem harsh because the world's been telling you they're harsh and you just get tired and then and you just simply start murmuring just a little bit about god's god and his commands you just you know d- does it really mean that a man who doesn't works doesn't work is worse than an unbeliever i mean really that that's a hard word i mean who can listen to that right and then Once you once you've begun murmuring, it's just an easy slide to be against God's commands. Murmuring against God and His Word is the doorway by which we enter into full apostasy. You just begin murmuring against it, but that murmuring grows and grows and grows, and pretty pretty soon, you say, "I'm on the other team." on On this passage, on on this harsh statement, um. John Calvin writes this, he says this, uh, on the contrary, this is not a harsh statement, it was in their hearts and not in the saying that the harshness lay. It was in the hearts of the people where there was harshness, not in what Jesus was saying. Do you get that, what he's saying there? But out of the word of God, the reprobate are thus accustomed to form stones to dash themselves upon, And when by their hardened obstinacy they rush against Christ, they complain that his saying is harsh, which ought rather to have softened them. When he says something hard, it's meant to soften you. You know, you're already hard. You come to that word and it says that, you know, a a woman should be busy at home. And it's like, oh, that's, oh. That pounding is supposed to soften us up, but here he's saying, look, these people got harder when they received his harsh word. For whoever shall submit with true humility to the doctrine of Christ will find nothing in it harsh or disagreeable. But to unbelievers who oppose themselves with obstinacy, it will be a hammer which breaketh the rocks and pieces, as the prophet calls it. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock? But since the same hardness is natural to us all, if we judge of the doctrine of Christ according to our feelings, his words will be just so many strange and incredible statements. Did you hear what Calvin wrote there? If we judge the teaching of Christ according to our feelings, his word will be just so many strange and incredible statements. Is this not what Josh Harris did? Judge the teaching of Christ according to his feelings. Is this not the tendency of your own heart? And your heart's deceptive. How do we counteract that? Here's Calvin's answer. Here's what he says. All that remains for us, therefore, is that everyone commit himself to the guidance of the Spirit, that he may inscribe on our hearts what otherwise would never have even entered into our ears. So he's like, inscribe on your hearts the Word of God. The Spirit will do that. That's the antidote. His answer is that we need to be committed to the Holy Spirit's guidance. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit, when he guides us, never would lead Anyone to murmur about God's word. The will of the Spirit and the will of Christ are not at odds with one another. In fact, the Spirit is our teacher, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing even today, bringing back all that Christ said. And it's, and it, and The Spirit does not murmur at the sun. So if the Spirit is guiding you, you can expect that you will accept what God's Word says. If the Spirit is guiding you, if your flesh is guiding you and your feelings are guiding you, expect to be always disjointed from Scripture. Right? Like, intentionally disjointed. And the way that the scholars do it is they just get sophisticated uh, hermeneutics and like, try to say that everything in your Bible that you think says one thing actually says the very opposite, right? Or taking one verse and and applying it everywhere flatly, right? Like there's no male or female. Oh, that's the feminist dream verse. There's neither male nor female. Well, in what regard? What does the context of the passage say? Well, who cares about context now? We've got this bullet we can shoot whenever we need it right? I'm not saying, you know, if the Spirit is guiding you, you can expect that you will accept God's Word. I'm not saying we will accept God's Word without a struggle, but when you do struggle with what God's Word says, you best go to the Lord in prayer and grapple with Him. And try to, put those feelings out of your mind and put all those other voices that are speaking to you and put the culture's voices out of your mind and go to God and pray and ask him to help you come to terms with this verse. If I obey it is going to uh, demolish my life as I know it. If you don't go to Lord, your struggle will die and your flesh will lead you to despise the hard words of God. When a verse comes along that you do not like, um, tell yourself to believe that word. Pray that God would give you the faith to believe that word and then take the first step toward believing that word. Contrary to your feelings, which will tell you to reject that word and live how you want by your own rule. And before too long, the Lord will allow you by his spirit to see the beauty of all of his commands. That's the thing. We just don't, we don't think there'll be good results if we obey God, which is astonishingly stupid. An omnipotent God who loves you, desires to give only good gifts to you. And we think that obedience to what he said is gonna lead to, to, discontentment and unhappiness you see this is this is what it means to take thoughts captive in obedience to christ taking captive thoughts is the very destruction of speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of god that's what taking thoughts captive is and that's what we are to do so the next time you are reading the word and there's something you don't like which will be the next time you're reading god's word Um, perhaps you judge God to be harsh or unloving or ignorant. Ignorant. In that moment, you, you begin to think, okay, this seems ignorant, this, this is harsh. This, I, there's no way, God, that I could obey this. Quickly quench those thoughts with faith and prayer. Say, no, this word is good because it comes from a good God and he only gives us good things, right? Quench those thoughts which are from the flesh and the devil with faith and then pray pray god help me to accept this word help me to love this help me to see the good in this because my flesh is just is fighting the spirit now you know remembering the word of god is not the word of men but really the word of god remember that the word is active and sharper than any two-edged sword it, it does surgery on us it's a knife Right? Remember that the word of God is breathed out, it's inspired by God himself. They, it is therefore perfect, pure, dependable, understandable. They train us in righteousness. If you think about it, every man makes a decision about the word of God. He either rejects it and favors his own thoughts, feelings, and emotions, or he accepts it and lets it do surgery on him. The one who rejects thinks much too highly of his own thoughts and emotions. The one who accepts abhors all of his thoughts and emotions. Does not trust his heart. Right? The one lives by his feelings, the other lives by the word of God. The one just gives in and, and relaxes and just goes with the flow. The other has to fight upstream in a culture in a wicked and perverse generation that would, would just ha- like to see us die. But he won't because he'll live by the word of God and live forever. Here's another thought. The commands of God are not hard because God is hard and likes to give us impossible standards. The commands of God are hard because of our stubbornness and pride, our hard-heartedness. The yoke Christ gives, he said, was overbearing and impossible, right? He said, the yoke that I give you is easy and the burden is light. It's light. In fact, God never commands impossibilities because, as Ryle puts it, what he bids us do, he gives us grace to perform. Think of that. There's no impossible commands in Scripture because God accomplishes those things he commands, even in you. There's a story that I wish Sarah could tell, but she can't. I'm in the pulpit. Of coming to terms with God's word. Um, This was when we were in Bloomington. She was a... What would you call yourself? When you first got to Bloomington, you were a feminist through and through. Raised in a feminist household, um, went to a Dutch Reformed feminist church, and then she came to Trinity Reformed Church, and Tim Bailey was preaching. Um, and you guys know enough about Tim that I don't have to explain him. Tim, Tim was my mentor in the faith, father in the faith. He's, the, he's in our presbytery, Trinity Reformed Church. He's a senior pastor. He's, he's retiring next year, which boggles my mind. Um, Sarah came to a, a service. It was recommended by a, f- a friend from InterVarsity or something, so she came, heard Tim preach, and was it just enraged by him. Just could not stand what he was teaching. I'm sure he was pounding on the, the male and female because Bloomington, Indiana is home of, of the Kinsey Institute. Alfred Kinsey, you've heard of, um, uh, probably has led to more wreckage in our culture than any other um, uh, university. And, and so Sarah came, heard him preach. It was on male and female. She's a feminist. She's just enraged. She leaves she gets to thinking about it. she's like, "I'm going to go back and see if he makes me as mad the second time." She goes back and he preaches again, hits on male and female, and she's enraged. She leaves, she's like thinking about it some more, and then shes, "I'm going to go back a third time." I mean, maybe two weeks is a fluke, but the third week maybe she hears him preach, she's enraged, leaves comes back the next week with the same purpose. And I think maybe your heart was softening, but I think you were still pretty like, this, this is obnoxious. Um, this is ridiculous. And then she left that week and she was contemplating more. And it occurred to her, I, I mean, I think the Holy Spirit stopped her in her tracks and it occurred to her, this question came to her mind. If this is true, what he's teaching about male and female, if it's in the word of God, <laughs> and it was, am I willing to obey it? Am I going to follow the, the, the hermeneutics of the, the gymnastic, you know, lesbian egalitarians? Or am I going to obey the word as it appears on the page and as everybody knows the meaning? And, and she began to say, no, no, I, I must obey God's word, even when it's painful, even when it's difficult, even when it blows up my world, even when it, it, it leads to suffering. I must follow God's word. I must obey his commands. Matthew Henry writes, they were not willing, speaking of this passage, they were not willing to have Christ's sayings explained to them because they would not lose this pretense for rejecting them that they were hard sayings. He, they didn't even want to hear him explain it anymore because they wanted to be able to, to get away from it, right? That's what we do, right? I mean, how many, of us, how many of us have had the same experience that Sarah had? You hear something from the pulpit, you don't like it, and you just are enraged and won't go back, but you know in the back of your mind that that pastor was right and he had my number. Right? He had my number. Well, you can make a choice the rest of your life. You can determine that you're just going to live by your emotions, or you can determine if you're going to submit to God's word, and only one of those is loving to Christ. Because Christ says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you hate me, you will obey your emotions. I mean, I think of the story myself with the Bible. I I, I got it, you know. I've told you this before, but I had a before I was a believer. I had a Bible, an NIV Student Bible. I can remember the cover. I think it had like a rainbow or something on the black cover with a. And uh, I remember my books by the color of the 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 um. Covers. It's really weird. Anyway, um, I, if you go in my office, you can't find any of the books. They're just thrown on the shelf. But I can find them because I remember the color of them. I'm weird. So, but I had that Bible, and, and I was, people were witnessing to me, and I was reading Scripture, which is good, but I was picking it apart as I went along. My margins were filled with, this is, you know, and, you know, I'm not going to, and no, no exclamation point, and I mean, it was just filled with that stuff, and, and it was absurdity to me, and then I was converted, and going into the Word of God was a completely different experience. Going into the Word of God was all yeses, and it was all um, praise gods, you know, and the margins became very different, and there was still some, ooh, okay, um, that 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 one stings you mean I, you mean i have to okay and there was there was you know it was getting to not me lording over the scripture but the scripture beginning to lord over me it must must get to the point where we say this is true now what does that mean for me today this is true what does it mean for me today We may may not lord over the word of God. We must believe the word of God. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, you will see your resistance for what it is. It's fleshly rebellion against God who is only good, only light, only loving. Do not let the world, the flesh, and the devil deceive you into believing that what God has said is not trustworthy or good. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. Pure. Just ahead in our passage in John 6, Jesus says this about his words. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So dear brothers and sisters, remember that. The devil would have you think that God's words are trouble. The world would have you think that God's words are are heartless and unkind, right? That your own desires, your own remaining corruption will twist you up and attempt to make you think God's word is onerous and restrictive and just not the best way for me. Some of it is. I like the eternal life bit, but, you know, giving up, you know, sex with um you know what I mean. Why are you giving heed to the devil, the world and the flesh? They speak to you all the time but their message is not trustworthy and true. it's not pure they are not spirit and not life. And so don't you dare let the world shame you for believing in Jesus Christ. don't don't let the world shame you into seeking to obey every word of the scriptures. Don't let anybody shame you when you are trying to obey the commands of God. Why would you take the fallible, weak, wicked, hopeless opinions of man and walk away from the living God, the true bread of heaven? And so kill your shame about the gospel. Kill it. Put that shame to death and be a fool for Christ, right? Be a fool for your creator and your savior and and it is exactly at the countercultural parts of life where you will be pleasing to god right live as a male as described in the word of god live as a female as described in the word of god and you will be the most authentic dude in the world authentic you know like they use authentic today like a unique sort of you know he marches Biblical sexuality, live that, and you will be um, running against the current. God's word is truth. Every bit of it inspired. It's profitable for training in righteousness. God's people, even especially when they bump up against a scripture that rubs us the wrong way, should say along with the psalmist, listen to this from Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. Is that the song you wake up to? Oh, how I love your Ten Commandments, O Lord. Oh, how I love the book of Leviticus. Because it shows me Christ. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. For from your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate you. Every false way. You see that joy in the word of God there? You see that depth? You see that protection? You see that wisdom, right? Everything he had was because of his adherence to the word of God. He restrained himself from evil because he, he loved the word of God. God's word is sweeter than honey. Those who have the spirit know this truth. It is sweet, right? The scriptures, they know because of a burning in their hearts and the testimony of the spirit are all sweetness. They are the best gift coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. They are the best gift that he's given to us, his word, right? So don't, Examine yourself, right? Examine yourself that, first of all, if you're reading the Word of God, if you're listening to the Word of God preached, right? If you're constantly saying, this is a difficult statement, who can listen to it? Watch out. You may be on that slippery slope, right? You should go to the Word of God and by faith and with prayer, You should believe what is there and know that it comes from a good Father for your good, for your welfare even in this life. Amen.